passage today is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults and keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, what an incredible Scripture, C.S. Lewis has said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Surely if it's the greatest poem in the Psalter, it is the greatest lyric in the world. Uh, Powerful words. One of the things that I call to mind very often in gathering together in the midst of the congregation in fact, it's, it's one of the, the causes uh, for our call to worship, that the Lord calls us to worship. Uh, I don't. I don't have the right to call to worship, and I have not been in ongoing worship, but rather I need to be called to worship, uh, that there is a preexistent reality to worship. There's a preexistent reality and an attention to glory that's true before we gather together. We join in worship as we are called to do so. And uh, that worship is a worship in the heavenly places. And all of what the word heavenly places means there, there is a worship that is in the presence of the throne room of God, and it's ongoing. And our call to worship has come and to join in that preexistent song. But also, this morning, the sun rose. Now, maybe a couple of you saw it. I haven't seen a sunrise in a long time. All right, I do my best to avoid seeing them. But I know it's there. And it rose, and that sun gives glory to God at its rising. And when we gathered this morning, we gather as the sun has already risen, 
as worship is already taking place, as the glory of God can be seen in the heavens, declaring and proclaiming the glory of God, we simply are joining in that theme in worship. This morning in Psalm 19, we're actually going to to give attention, especially to this portion of, of the heavens declaring the glory of God. Psalm 19 is a psalm in two parts, at least. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, are uh, the, the first section looking at the heavens, looking at creation, worshiping the Lord, the revelation of God in the heavens. And then we have verses 7 through 11 that we're actually going to look at next week, which is a reflection on the glory of God being made known in his word. We'll give attention there. But I would argue that verses 12 through 13 and verse 14 are a sort of application followed by a benediction. So really, that verses 12 through 14 can be applied to the whole of the psalm. So this morning, we'll give attention to verses 1 through 6. There's a number of, of comparisons and contrasts that can be made by looking at this first and second part of the psalm, verses 1 through 6 and verses 7 through 11. Verses 1 through 6 is a reflection on creation, specifically a reflection on the glory of God made known in the heavens. Part two is a reflection upon the word. It holds precious, the value of God's word to guard against evil and to lead one's life in what is beautiful and what is good, specifically to lead us to the rock and redemption that we have in our God. There is a number of distinguishing marks between these two parts of the psalm, and yet they're telling one story about the glory of God. One of the most interesting marks that uh, is a contrast between these two sections is actually the word for God. Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. It turns out that in the first half of the psalm, God is referred to as God. The, the Hebrew word is El, and it refers to the title of God. God is not God's name. God is what he is, and the sort of the, the cosmic title that he bears. It refers to God as maker in the first section of this psalm. He is the maker And he's the greatest might and greatest glory that is. There's no one higher. There's no one above God, above El. And then we have in this second section, beginning in verse 7, we have the Lord. And the the word is is Yahweh, the, the very name of God. And that's how he's referred to in this second part. He is the I am. He's the covenant-keeping Lord. We're to, to call to mind just not just God Almighty, but covenant-keeping Lord, the Lord of steadfast love and mercy. Let's be clear so we're not distracted or led astray in this. Psalm 19 is about the one God, not two deities, but the one God, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, maker of all things, and redeemer has revealed himself in steadfast love and mercy. The God of glory is the Lord God Almighty. 
This is a testimony of the whole of the scriptures, and it's the testimony of this psalm as well. There is one rock and one redeemer. He is El. He is Yahweh. And yet, there is a contrast that the psalmist wants us to see. He wants it to bring it to our minds that, that is held out there in this Lord God. He who made the heavens is high, right? He's powerful, great in glory, and we live in light of his glory, quite literally in light of his glory. And yet it is also he who has spoken by his word. He's made himself close. He who, we live in light of his glory, has made himself close by speaking to us his own precious, keeping word. As the psalmist says in Psalm 3, just a few weeks ago, we looked at, he is my glory and the lifter of my head. This is our God. This is the God that's held out to us in Psalm 19. Go back to Lewis's quote, where we have the greatest poem in the Psalter. I think he's probably correct. The Holy Spirit holds out for us a a simple verse, a reflection upon incredibly common things. In fact, that's the whole point. The things that are common to man that stretch from one corner of creation to the other. And yet we have the greatest glory and the sweetest eminence of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the psalms. Thanks for giving us songs. Thanks for giving us art. Thanks for giving us poetry. Sweet words, high words, words that makes us stop and think, what does it mean that there is no voice, there are no words? But you just said there's proclamation. How does a son proclaim? Lord, thank you for words. Above all things, we thank you for your word and your word made flesh. I pray that we would, as we use words, as our hearts meditate, that you would give us yourself, that we would know the Redeemer. We pray that your spirit would work in the midst of your church this morning, that we would not just know, but we we would believe, and believing we would be changed. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for this in the Redeemer's name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The outline of the psalm of our sermon this morning, like I mentioned, we're going to look at mostly just the first six verses, and then we'll come back to it again next week. The outline of the sermon is actually found just in the first verse, where we begin by considering that the heavens declare, the heavens declare. So we ought to ask, if we want to know what is being declared, we want to get there, we should probably ask first, who is this? What is this that is doing the declaring? What are the heavens? Now, I would invite you to turn with me back to Genesis, and we get a picture very quickly of the heavens. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, the first words of Scripture, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What's clear in these first verses is God is the creator, and his Spirit is there, close 
and hovering. We already have Psalm 19. Right here in the first words of Scripture, we have God Almighty speaking heaven and earth into existence and the Spirit hovering over the face of the deep. And God said the next words. We already have God's voice at work in creation itself. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. He speaks and it is so because he who speaks his word is the Lord God Almighty. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And so we have these heavens, the sky and the clouds. And we will see appear the sun and the moon and the stars above the first heaven. It is these heavens that declare and proclaim the glory of God. Look at verses 14 through 19. We'll go ahead and read it. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good what he'd made. And there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day, we have these heavens, the skies and the clouds and the sun and the moon and the stars. And God said this and it was so and it was good. What is it that these, the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky and the clouds and the waters, what do they say? Because in our scripture this morning, we have the Lord, the God, the heavens declare the glory of God. So he's working by by creating, by making these great heavens, and he's made them to declare something. What does it declare? It declares the glory of God of God, not merely, it's not enough to look up, and I'm sure you've done this, especially if you're on a mountaintop and you get, get above a little bit of the atmosphere and out of all the lights that are down in the cities, and you get up and you look up at the sky, you're like, glorious, amazing. But that's not what they declare. The, the, the heavens don't declare their glory, Right? Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's not merely that the heavens are glorious. It's that the heavens are speakers. They are voices declaring not their glory, but the glory of their maker. One of my purposes in holding out Psalm 19 to you this morning in these two weeks is to prepare to go back to the second half of Romans 1 in August, in just a couple of weeks. In the second half of Romans 1, beginning at verse 19, it says this, for what can be known about God 
is plain to them, mankind, because God has shown it to them. He has given a speaker, a declarer, a, a preacher in the heavens. It says his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. You've heard the sermon. You've seen it. You've heard it. You know it. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, specifically Psalm 19, in the heavens, so they are without excuse. Let's be clear. Romans is clearly holding on to the same reality of Romans 19 and holding it out to us as mankind that creation makes known the glory of God. What does creation do? What is and specifically the heavens. We're not talking about creation generically in Psalm 19. We have the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God spoke, and he brought all of these things into existence, the heavens, the sky, the day, and the night, and his voice can still be heard in creation itself. It's like in speaking them into existence, it's like that, that, that becomes their essence. It becomes what they're made of. That the, the heavens are made of the voice of God. They're made of what made them. And they're still speaking his voice, making declaration and proclamation. Verse 2 says, day to date, day to day pours out what? Speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Verse 3, there's no speech, no words, whose voice is not heard. The fact that the heavens are speaking tells us that God has an audience in view. The heavens are speaking so that someone would hear it. Who, who does God have in mind? Who hears the speech? Who, who receives the knowledge? Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the what? Soul. The soul hears, and the soul sees, and the soul perceives. Even for those who are unwilling to confess with their mouth what they have seen, they know. They have perceived. We have seen and heard. The speech is clear and resounding. It's right that the psalmist ends in verse 14, as we've already reflected in the service, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart ought to be shaped by the proclamation of the heavens. I'll say it again. The, the heavens have a proclamation, and the heavens' audience is you. If you're listening to the proclamation and the declaration, the words and the voice of the heavens, and you're to receive it, it ought to shape our worship, the meditation of our mouth, the, med the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart become acceptable in his sight as we are tutored by his tutors in the heavens and by his word in the scriptures. Verse 4 says, the voice goes out through all the earth and the words, their words to the end of the world. The voice goes out everywhere. When I was in college, 
I was sitting with a friend, as college students do. They lay down in the grass, and they look up at the stars and think deep thoughts, and they're very impressed with themselves. And, um, and I was, I thought I was thinking truly deep thoughts, but what I didn't realize is I was thinking deep thoughts because I was looking at great things that are speaking great glory. But my friend was thinking a far deeper thought than I was, and she said she had just returned to that town in rural Indiana where you can actually see lights and telephone poles and corn. Uh, that's about it that you can see. And, and she just returned from India. And uh, India to Indiana, it's a bit of a contrast, but it turns out that there are some things that are the same. She said, that moon that we're looking at here is the same moon. The same moon that she saw when she was in India. Not the same time, but moves. And she saw it, and it, it proclaimed something to her in India with the people that she was with at the time. And she said, The God who placed that light in the sky tonight also gave the moon to those who look into the sky on the other side of the world. There is one proclamation And it doesn't matter where you live, but it reaches, it stretches to the ends of the earth. They're words to the end of the world. The sun and the moon make their circuit. It's a simple reflection. In fact, it seems a bit childish, perhaps even a bit quaint. But let me say that perhaps it's our modern sensibilities that are childish, not quaint. Perhaps it's the failure of our imagination that's quaint. Oh, isn't that sweet? Those moderns, they think really great thoughts, don't they? But friends, (laughs) this proclamation has been great. And it's inspired the imaginations as ears have seen and heard for generations. We would do well as as this proclamation is made known to us to let it spark our imaginations and consider what do I see when I see the sun? What do I see when I see the the moon and the stars? What do I see in the clouds? Friends, we have thought about this so much this summer. You can't not. I was just caught in one of those thunderstorms yesterday. The power of the heavens, God Almighty, booming with a voice. What's he saying? What does that thunder declare? What ought I see in that lightning? It's by these heavens that the glory of God is made known to the ends of the earth. Everywhere gets to hear it. And friends, we get to hear it loudly and daily. Don't turn up the volume on the TV. Don't put in your headphones. Listen, don't hide in all of our modern technology, but hear. Now, some here say, I already know this. I I don't doubt that the Lord is creator. But let me ask you this. I, I, I believe you. I believe you know that. But have you inclined your ear to the wisdom of the heavens? The heavens tell us more than God is creator. Check. I believe that. It's not just some cosmic time plus chance mistake. 
And you say, yes, I believe that. You're too modern. (laughs) You're too scientific to just think like that. You see, Romans tells us that the divine attributes of God are made known. And you think you're done because you know that he's creator. Spark your imagination. There's so much noise, so much distraction, and yet day to day pours out speech. Maybe we'd do well if the thunder and lightning would knock out all our electricity and just let us listen for a little while. The heavens declare the glory of God. Not just glory, but the glory of God. The psalmist is not merely speaking about glorious realities that we ought to appreciate, make poems about, reflect on, take pictures of, and paint, but rather what we ought to be hearing, seeing, and repeating is the glory of God that we see there, God Almighty, but we don't. And that's the point of Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 22 and 23 say, claiming to be wise, man, that's us. Like no generation probably in history has claimed to be quite as wise as we do with all of our science and technology. Man, we got it down, right? Claiming to be wise, it says they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Friends, is that merely a problem for ancient pagans? We live in a modern scientific society. Surely we don't have such idolatry problems. But I would ask us to consider, is it perhaps true that no one in history has looked deeper into the heavens Literally, no one in all of history has captured more of the light of the heavens and yet has been more deaf to the voice of creation than you and I and our generation. And you, you probably have in your Instagram feeds pictures from I don't even know the name of the telescope now. And it can see things that have never even been seen before. Deep space telescopes that can beam pixelated images of, listen to this word, Invisible light. Like, there's such a thing? Yeah, it turns out there is. And yet, we're unwilling to report in our news reports that I read that these discoveries point us to an immortal God. That's not possible. So we don't talk about immortal gods. We'll talk about invisible light, but not an immortal God. Friends, we haven't heard a thing. We haven't seen a thing. We have, exchanged the, we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of invisible light. And we say they're glorious because they are. But their glory is a word, a declaration, a proclamation for the soul to hear and be humbled by. It's accurate of this generation that we could say, seeing, they do not perceive. At the end of Acts, Paul quotes Isaiah. He says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. 
and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. We ought to see. We ought to see, but we're dull. I'm dull. The things that capture my attention and your attention too, tiny things, small things, man-made things, earthly things, technological things, and we're so impressed by us. Look up. Be impressed by the glory of the immortal God. What ought we see? Charles Spurgeon says four words that I, I just found compelling. We ought to see a conscious, planning, controlling, presiding God. A conscious, planning, controlling, presiding God. He says that this is no mere hint at this God. This is a plain, unmistakable declaration. It requires an exchange of ignorance to miss, an intentional faithlessness, I think I would summarize the voice of God in the heavens as perhaps the word providence. And isn't, isn't providence a wonderful summary of conscious, planning, controlling, presiding? The Lord has provided perfect symmetry. Friends, the ancients have looked at these things and they knew more about them than a lot of us do. Symmetry, beauty, light. Friends, not even mountains or oceans speak of the splendor and the majesty and the perfection of our God that the glory of the heavens do. And man, I'm moved to my soul when I stand on top of a mountain. And yet every one of us have access to the heavens. The psalm makes explicit the declaration of the heavens. It tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims what? his handiwork, what he does with his hands. I consider myself an artist. I've done a decent bit of art along the way. I've, I've, I've practiced handiwork. I've, I've used crayons and finger paints. I've used pencils and I've used oils. I've used charcoal and pastels. I've even used Photoshop and Illustrator as my preferred tool because it has a command Z, you know? I can go back and erase a mistake. But the work of El, the work of God Almighty, what's his creative medium? Pastels? Oh, that's in there. <laughs> but his creative medium is stars and clouds and atmospheres and planets. That's his handiwork. And you tell me that doesn't tell us something about God. Tell me that doesn't tell us something about his, his handiwork, his providence, his immortality, his glory. This is the handiwork of our God, and the heavens are his medium. The first part of the psalm gives us a particular illustration of the glory of God in the heavens. It, it begins to reflect, beginning in verse 4, at the end of the verse, it says, In them, in the heavens, he did this particular handiwork. Right? In the heavens, he said, a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the 
end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun, it touches every part of creation. It is the source of light for the whole of the day, wherever there is day. It's the provision of God for the maintenance of life. Does that tell us anything about God other than he's creator and maker of the sun? God provides for life. And he made this whole tent of the heavens as a tent for the sun, where the sun would reign supreme as the greatest light in the heavens. And what's the sun's purpose? The provision of life for dust like you and me. That dust, like you and me, would hear the proclamation of the Son about the provision, the care, the nurture of our provider, our God. No one can escape the Son's proclamation. It is the blazing glory as, as its descent marks our need for rest and its rising signals our hope for another day. What does the sun tell us about God? We're not him. <laughs> he made the sun. And when the sun goes down, we go to rest. And it tells us our hope in God. As we wait for the sun to rise, we say, today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will run with the sun a course of joy. This is what God has done. This is what he has provided. Even in recent weeks, we considered Psalm 3, a morning psalm, and Psalm 4, an evening psalm. The sun has provided a marker by which we are reminded to direct our thoughts to God, evening and morning, day by day, a marker Do you direct your thoughts to God? The heavens have spoken. Reality. Reality is that we ourselves have seen ourselves in light of the heavens. We see nothing without the light of the heavens. The heavens give light to all that we see. And so my prayer this morning is that the heavens would give us light for our wisdom that it would shine in places where, where we have been darkened, where we've exchanged truth for a lie, reality for a figment, and that our wisdom would grow up in light of the glory of God. Friends, there's so much in here, but there's one thing that I, I was struck to see. I, I don't know if it's like in the text. I don't know if The psalmist was trying to make a point about something that was to come. I don't know if this is prophecy in this passage or not, but I was bowled over by what I saw because I saw Jesus. Do you see it? What if it's Jesus who is that son? What if Jesus is that son that is sent forth by God, the bridegroom and the strong man? The bridegroom, glowing with joy, for the joy set before him, he runs his course with joy. He's the one who is sent by God to be the very proclamation of the divine attributes of God, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is that son, and he's the strong man. He runs 
the course, the full course, like a mighty warrior who set forth on a course of redemption and he runs it through all of its trials, through all of its need for perseverance and strength and he runs the whole of the course to its end and he rises again. Jesus is that son. And friends, we can know that proclamation, the very proclamation of the gospel as we look at the heavens. Jesus is the glory of God. I don't, I actually find it doubtful that that's what the psalmist was doing here, but I find it very likely that God would reveal his glory and the glory of the Son in what he made. And I find it guaranteed in the first verses. The, heaven declares, the heavens declare the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. That's where glory has finally been revealed. What ought we see? What ought we who have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in our hearts? If you are a person who has placed your faith in Christ, who knows the Lord God as precious and glorious, if you know the Christ, you know what you see when you see the heavens. You see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is the maker. We live under the intensity of his son, and he's shown great light as we live under the intensity of the glory of his son. It's in light of the glory of God that we also see our need for grace. I said that verses 12 through 14 are an application and benediction. In light of the sun, in light of the heavens, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. One of the things that we should see when we shrink under the, the glory of the heavens that declare the glory of God is we are not glorious. We are lesser and the, the sun gets up every morning and it does exactly what it was made to do. And it shines with a bright intensity as is purposed by its maker. We don't. No morning have I ever run my course with joy. In perfect faith, no. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And it sounds like Romans 1. Let them not have dominion over me. Let there not be an exchange, not a final exchange. Lord, you who are the Lord of creation have dominion over me. Then, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And where is the grace in this psalm? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
He is the Lord. He has the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and tongue confess. We have a Lord, and he is my rock, and he is my redeemer. The psalm is a movement from lesser to greater. It's a movement from heavens, and next week we will consider the word. And now we who have moved from the heavens to the word can move to the word made flesh, who's dwelt among us and has called us into himself. We are Christ our head, we his body. How can we see Jesus if we've exchanged the glory of God for a lie? This morning is a call to incline your ear to wisdom, specifically the wisdom of the heavens, not just creation, the heavens. As we perceive the glory of God there, we will gain wisdom that allows us to receive the glory of redemption all the more. I would have just a few things to send you off with, a few direct implications. What do you see when you look at the sky? What do you see when you look at the sky? You know what? I, was, I answered that myself this week, and you know, what, you know what I realized? There's a follow-up question. Do you look at the sky? Now, my eyes see all kinds of things all day long. Most of them come from the light of this glory. Speaking of exchanging the truth for a lie. Do you look at the sky? That's a weird application point for a gospel-centered church. (laughs) But what if we just began there? Look up. Like, just go ahead and look up. Yesterday, I got to do that for a bit. I got to sit outside. I'm not a big sit-outside person unless there's a porch above me, right? But I got to sit outside, and I saw the sky. And I, I reflected on thoughts I don't reflect on when I'm just looking at this thing we would do well to situate ourselves under the sun. You do live under the sun. You don't live under technology or science. You live under the sun, and the sun was put there with a tent of the heavens, and it was put there by God, the glorious one. Be situated under the sun. Begin to live there. We who can see the farthest galaxies, can we see the glory of God in our nearest star? And can we learn to glorify God by learning to sing the song of the heavens? There's words out there to be heard. And there's words out there in the heavens that you can see with your own eyes that declare the invisible attributes of the divine that we could learn. And we could learn to sing. Friends, there's a Years ago, in the earliest sermons that we preached here at Cross Point Coast, we did a sermon series on the attributes of God, and a theme sentence that was said many times during the course of that sermon series is, there is nothing more practical, nothing more pragmatic. And the reason why I began with that, the beginning of that sentence in that way is, is I know that that's the way we are. As a society, we are inclined to the pragmatic. I don't have time to look at the stars. You know what I have to do today? I got practical, pragmatic things to do. The most practical, the most pragmatic thing for you is for you to know your God. 
You do have a lot to do today. You have a lot of business to attend to. And I would argue the greatest business, the most practical, pragmatic thing for you to do today would be to look up and listen and learn and be changed by that God, our Lord, our maker. Heavenly Father, you seem to be very clear that there's implications from these things, that there's things that we ought to know. We have no excuse not to know and not to to live in light of, and yet we exchange what we have no excuse for, for lies. And man, would we love to slap that on the culture around us. Slow us down, Lord, today, this Sunday, this afternoon. Let us look up on our drive home. Let us live in light of your creation. Give thanks for your sun and its heat and know that we have been made. I pray that we would hear. I pray that we would hear and believe, that we would believe and be changed. Lord, make us worshipers in light of your redeeming grace. Take a people who have exchanged truth for a lie over and over again. Bring us into Christ who has given his life for us. Let the light of the glory of God shine in hearts, even the heart here this morning that is yet hard, that does not believe. I pray that the light of your glory would shine into that heart, that you would save, that you would grant faith, and that we could become worshipers together with the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart, that they would become acceptable in your sight by faith. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of that rock, that redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.